You are listening to a message from the Living Word community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Well, the Lord bless you. It's a privilege to be able to worship Jesus with you. I appreciated the focus during our time of worship on the name of Jesus. What an amazing gift and asset we've been given, the name of Jesus Christ, and uh, to, to use it, to proclaim it the way the first century apostles did. Every chance they had, they talked about the name of Jesus, even when they got in trouble. And sometimes we keep him to ourselves, but we're here to proclaim the name of Jesus. And uh, really, um, the Lord was ministering to that, that to us through each song that sung. Also really appreciate the word that Elena shared that confirmed something the Lord put on my heart too. But uh, a privilege to be able to uh, share the word of the Lord with you again this morning. And I'm going to be opening my Bible to Ezekiel chapter 34. So if you have a Bible with you, grab it please and open it with me to the 34th chapter the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 34. It's been wonderful working our way uh, through this long and complicated and sometimes very dark and heavy book, the book of Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel is a serious, heavy book because in it, uh, you know, it's written in captivity and a time when God's people were in captivity in Babylon. And uh, the reason that they were there was because of their own sin because of their own uh, iniquity and greed and injustice and particularly the sin of idolatry. And uh, it comes out very clearly. And because God is a holy God, he condemns sin. And that's why certain parts of scripture are, are very hard for us to read because God really does judge and punish sin and he takes it seriously. And yet in this amazing and, and glorious book of uh, Ezekiel, there's, there are tremendous glimpses also of God's mercy, God's love, God's uh, redemptive work, his restoration of his people. And uh, Dave mentioned recently that the opening chapters, particularly the first 33 or so chapters of Ezekiel, are uh, deal with the grief of being in captivity and God's punishment because of the sin of his people and his, his, his punishment of his people. Uh, we're today in our corporate Bible reading we're, reading, we're reading chapter 43, and this is into the part that's more glorious and that's more refreshing to us. And, and you may remember that early on we, we read about God's glory departing from his temple. God left. He said, I've had it, and, and he left the presence of his people. Now in chapter 43, which we're reading today, um, he, he, his glory returns in, in majesty and power to the temple. It's a glorious and a wonderful and a beautiful thing. But I'm not doing your homework for you today. I'm not reading chapter 43. Read that for yourself. Many of you read it this morning, and others will read it this afternoon. But uh, I'm flipping the digits and instead uh, turning back to Ezekiel chapter 34. If you were here last week, you heard a powerful message from this pulpit out of the 37th chapter of Ezekiel. That chapter, which in some ways is one of the best known chapters in the book of Ezekiel, the Valley of the Dry Bones, and do you remember? And um, 
In the, middle, in the beginning of the chapter, um, the Lord shows Ezekiel a valley filled with dry bones. And uh, he asks Ezekiel a really difficult question. He says, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel gives sort of an equivocal answer. He says, Lord God, you know. Lord, you know. And in fact, those bones can live because our God is a God who works miracles and resurrects the dead. And the, the people of Israel were dead in Babylon. And even those who were in Jerusalem were spiritually dead. But God said he was going to do a work. And he said to Ezekiel, prophesy to those bones and say to them, hear the word of the Lord. And uh, the Lord graciously includes the prophet Ezekiel in his word of, of restoring and bringing back bone to bone and, and sinew to sinew and flesh and, and, and causing a great and mighty army to stand on its feet and then to breathe the ruah, the, the life, the breath of the spirit of the Lord into them. And that's the amazing way that God can restore even a broken and a sinful people. And uh, it's powerful to behold. Now, if you can look back into the dim mists of time to two weeks ago, we heard another anointed message also from the book of Ezekiel. And if you were here two weeks ago, you know that my brother Ephraim shared on Ezekiel 34 about God shepherding his people, God taking over the shepherding of his people Israel from corrupt, wicked shepherds. And uh, so we're going to look at that passage again and um, build on the, I'm going to try to build on the excellent foundation that my brother Ephraim laid for us uh, in Ezekiel chapter 34 because I was really stirred by what he said and the Lord had been speaking to me through that passage. Um, now we're going to start reading in verse 11 of Ezekiel 34, so if you're ready. But before we start reading in verse 11, just wanted to mention that the first 10 verses of this chapter, Ezekiel chapter 34, are God's judgment and his railing condemnation against the wicked shepherds of his people. He accuses those who had been shepherding the flock of Israel um, of all kinds of things, of, of violence and injustice and greed and fleecing the sheep, taking advantage of them. The, the chief sin for which he indicts them is feeding themselves. He said, shouldn't my, my, the shepherds be feeding the flock, but instead they're feeding themselves and God is appalled at the sinfulness of the shepherds uh, in, in Ezekiel the first 10 verses of chapter 34. And he says, woe to them, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. This is around verse three. Um, Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Then verse, verse three, three talks about uh, how they're taking the wool and slaughtering the sheep without feeding the flock. And then in verse four, and this is a presage of what's to come. Verse four of Ezekiel 34, he says, those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought the lost, but with force and with severity you have, you have dominated the sheep. This is God's railing judgment against the wicked shepherds of Israel who weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing, and God takes, takes this very seriously. These principles uh, can also apply to all kinds of leadership, to leadership in the body of Christ, to leadership in the world. Uh, there are many, many examples. We've had some examples of wonderful leadership like Orville Swindoll and, in my opinion, Queen Elizabeth II of England, uh, people who 
have lived lives of, lives of self-sacrifice and given to others and who, who have fed the flock. There are also many examples in the world, uh, past and present, of those who have done the opposite. One that comes to mind uh, is the, 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 the uh, leader of North Korea, a man named Kim Jong-un, whom you may be familiar with. Uh, he threatens all of his neighbors with nuclear weapons. Um, he uh, lives and has built golden palaces for himself and his family. Meanwhile, tens of millions of people in his country are starving to death. And he doesn't care, although he pretends that he does. And more than that, hundreds of thousands of people are in prison gulags, uh, incar incarcerated for not having committed crimes. And tens of thousands of our brothers and sisters in Christ, pastors and just regular Christians, are in, in prison in North Korea simply for, the, for the, uh, their allegiance to the name of Jesus that we have the freedom to worship here. God will judge unrighteous rulers and unrighteous shepherds, those who take advantage of those that they are supposed to be caring for. And just as he will, Kim Jong-un, he also here is holding to account the, the unrighteous shepherds of Israel in the first 10 verses of Ezekiel 34. Then in verse 11, God takes matters into his own, his own hands. You know, there are times when you can't really improve and reform and tinker with a structure that's no longer any good. It has to be destroyed. It has to be taken down. I don't know if you've ever seen um, uh, the implosion of a building. It's, I've never seen it in person, but it's kind of a fascinating thing. I've seen videos of it. An example of that here in Philadelphia was um, the Sears headquarters it was up on the north in, on the Roosevelt Boulevard, northeast Philadelphia, one of the largest buildings in the city of Philadelphia, and it served for many generations. And then it started to fall apart, and um, they had to just demolish it. And they, they filmed it, and it was amazing. To, I don't know if you've ever seen a video of the film, but it's amazing because what they did was they sunk down into the foundation all around the Sears building uh, on the Roosevelt Boulevard uh, dynamite. And um, they, pr they pressed the buttons and uh, in, in, in a matter of a few seconds, the whole building collapsed into a pile of rubble and a cloud of dust. And uh, they had to rebuild and st they, they started all over again and, and, and a totally different uh, rebuilding. And that's really what happens here in Ezekiel chapter 34. The Lord says, those, right, those unrighteous, wicked, self-serving shepherds, they're done. And I myself am going to take matters into my own, my own hands. I am going to shepherd my people. This is the passage that Ephraim read two weeks ago, and we're going to read again today. So if you're with me, uh, Ezekiel chapter 34, we're going to start reading at verse 11. After his indictment, of the selfish, wicked shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the days when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and I will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. And this book is written on a cloudy and gloomy day when, when God's sheep are in captivity in Babylon. And this, these are his promises. Verse, verse 13, I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the, 
countries and bring them to their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of their land. I will feed them in a good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down in good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. What an amazing passage. When God says, you know, it's time for me to do it right. It's time for me now to take things into my own hands. And this is what he does in these amazing six verses. Just incredible. And there are actually six tasks that the Lord assigns to himself in these six verses, Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 16. And we're going to take a look at, at each of them. There are six verbs that he uses about what he's going to do, six promises that he makes to us about uh, his, his plan to shepherd righteously his people, Israel, and um, their powerful um, messages to us. Important for us to observe important for us to understand and to apply to our own lives. The six tasks that the Lord gives to himself. And these are, they are, starting with verse 11. The first thing that he says he will do is search for the sheep. I'm still back in verse 16. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. The Lord says, I'm going to look for my sheep. Now, why does he have to look for them? Why does he have to search for them? Because they're scattered. Because they're, 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 they've wandered. They're lost. Isaiah says in chapter 53, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And that's why it's essential for the Lord to search out and to seek for and to find his sheep. So the first thing he does is he searches for the sheep. The second thing he does is he cares for them, verse 12. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he was among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep. To care for someone, to care for something, can be taken in two ways. You, to care for means to care about someone. And there, th th it's possible to have responsibility assigned to you, but to not really care about your responsibilities or the people that have been uh, assigned to you. And Jesus, you know, talks about this in John 10 in the parable of the Good Shepherd. And he says that there's a, a hireling, someone who's just been paid money to take care of the sheep. And when he sees the wolf coming, he flees. Why? Because he doesn't care for the sheep. He cares only for his own well-being and his own safety. And the wolf comes in and snatches and scatters the sheep. To care for is, is to care deeply about, to have compassion, like Jesus had compassion for the multitudes because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The word care for can also mean um, to care 
in the sense of tending, of nurturing, of, of being with the sheep, of, of caring about them, about uh, spending time with them, tending them. Um, it, it reminds me of what, what, the, what the, the commission that the Lord Jesus gave to the Apostle Peter at the end of the Gospel of John when he, they were walking along the shore after the resurrection. And he said to Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Tend my lambs. This is caring for. This is knowing the needs, becoming acquainted with the needs of the sheep and, and caring for them. And the Lord says that's what he's going to do. He's going to care for his sheep. And the third thing, the third verb, the third task the Lord assigns to himself is to deliver them. The next phrase, I will care for my sheep and I will deliver them. And the sheep need to be delivered. They can't save themselves. They can't deliver themselves. The shepherd has to do that for them. And the, the wicked shepherds indicted in the first 10 verses weren't doing that. The Lord said, I will deliver my sheep. The fourth thing that the Lord promises that he will do is to gather his sheep. Um, yeah, in the same verse, verse 13, he says, I will, I will, I will, in verse 13, I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. Gathering the sheep. This is the function that God says he will take upon himself for the people of Israel. And um, these principles, by the way, apply not just to God and his, sh his shepherding of his sheep uh, here in Ezekiel, but they also throw light on, the, of course, on the ministry of Jesus. Um, they also throw light on the way the Lord may want to use us to care for and to gather uh, those who are lost. Why do sheep need to be gathered? Because they scatter. They naturally wander off. They do their own thing. Like it says in Isaiah, we, we all we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord spoke to us earlier in the service through our sister Elena about being in physical, regular, face-to-face -face fellowship with each other. Sheep are supposed to live together. You know, there's some animals that aren't designed to be gathered. You know, jaguars and leopards and other kinds of animals that God has created, they spend their whole lives on their own and they, they hunt on their own and um, they live a indep totally independently. Sheep are not supposed to be like that. Jesus constantly in the scriptures constantly talking about bringing my sheep into my fold. Not only in fellowship and in touch with the shepherd, but with other sheep, rubbing with, rubbing with other sheep and, and, and hearing each other's voices. Ma, ma, ma. And you can hear, you can hear voices, you know, electronically, uh, you know, through Zoom and or on TV or radio or uh, texting. There's e-fellowship. But I don't think that's real fellowship. I think real fellowship is when sheep are together in the same flock and can, can bleat at each other and have physical contact and see each other and hear their voices face to face. And, and if you are one of those Christians who believes that you can live your life independently and out of regular physical contact with other believers, then um, there's a warning. There are wolves out there. Sheep are not to be, meant to be, to, be, to be living independently on their own without being in the fold. And uh, 
there is danger and in isolation and the enemy picks off people who decide to live independently. There are some obvious uh, exceptions, people that are in prison, uh, people that um, are, uh, are bedridden, things like that. So of course there are exceptions for that and the Lord will, will provide for them. The fifth thing that the Lord says he will do for his sheep is pretty obvious. Uh, sheep get hungry. Sheep need to eat. And what the shepherd does is he feeds them. He says, I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams in all the inhabited places of the land. Verse 14, I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down in good grazing and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. The place where the Lord will feed his sheep is not only physically sustaining, not only gives them good grazing, but it's a beautiful place. It's the mountains of Israel. The good shepherd feeds his sheep. And the, the sixth thing, the last thing that he does is in verse 15. He says, I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest. Sheep get tired. You know, they need to lie down. They need to take, to take a load off. They need to rest. And Jesus, um, this was spoken uh, at the funeral service uh, yesterday. Um, one of the first, one of the first things that uh, the pastor said in English, because many, much of it was in Korean for Lin's mom, but um, he he said, uh, Matthew, from from Matthew chapter chapter 11, Jesus's incredible invitation: Come to me, all you who labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. If you need rest, come to Jesus. That's one of the things he promises. So these, these amazing six promises, these six things that he says he will do, six tasks the Lord takes upon himself in these verses. To search for the sheep, to care for them, to deliver them, to gather them, to feed them, and to, and to lead them to rest. These are the things that are involved in righteous shepherding. These are the amazing promises that the Lord gives to his sheep and to his flock here. Verse 16, the last verse here, is a very powerful one. It's kind of a sum summary verse, I think, of this part of this passage. And I personally think of this verse as applying particularly to the, the ministry of the Lord Jesus himself, the great shepherd of the sheep, as he's called in Hebrews. Verse 16, I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. The ministry of the Lord Jesus to you, and if you're willing, through you to other people. One of the things I love about this passage is the echoes that I hear throughout the scriptures of the themes here in, this, in these verses that we've read. And don't, there's a lot of things I love about God's word, but one of the things that really thrills me the most is how the internal consistency, how the, the, I, the, the, the verses that make me say, hey, that reminds me of. You know, I'm reading here in Ezekiel 34, and I say, hey, that reminds me of John 10. I'm reading in Isaiah 61, I say, hey, that reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 5. 
Do, do you get excited about the, the, hey, that reminds me of passages in the scriptures? This is an amazing collection of 66 books the Lord has given to us, written by, by a bunch of different authors, but really by one, the Holy Spirit, who moved through all the people that wrote this book. And, and, the, and the more you read and feed on the scriptures, the more you realize how Ephraim a couple of weeks ago called them the instruction book or the guidebook for our lives. And the more you, you read it, the more you realize all the internal connections that there are and how uh, the themes repeat. And this, this book had to have been inspired by the Holy Spirit. There's no other explanation of how we could have this amazing uh, thing that we call and take for granted the Bible that they don't have in persecuted places. But lots of echoes, lots of echo verses, and, I, and there are far too many from this passage to turn to all of them, but let me just direct you to a couple of them, if you don't mind turning along with me in your Bible. And, and uh, the first one that I wanted to turn to is in Luke chapter 15. So if you will turn with me in the Bible to Luke chapter 15. Some of these passages will be very familiar, and that's good. Verse 3, Jesus told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it upon his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he has come home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. The shepherd rejoices in the finding of lost sheep. Isaiah 53 describes the Lord Jesus as being a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief which he was, and no other person who's walked this earth has felt the grief and the sorrow as Jesus has. But no other person has been filled with the joy that the Lord Jesus was, anointed with joy above his fellows, as it says in the Psalms. And um, Jesus had a lot of joy, and, and sometimes the things that brought him joy are not the same things that bring you and me joy. I don't think Jesus got really excited when he found a new bargain on the internet. Hey, I can save a lot of money. We take joy in stuff like that. I don't think Jesus got really excited when the Eagles scored a touchdown. Maybe he does. But uh, we'll find out this afternoon as you're, if you're watching the Eagles. Listen to hear, see if you hear Jesus cheering. But uh, I think the things that really bring Jesus joy are when he finds lost sheep. Isn't this a beautiful, beautiful passage? It's just so, so tender and so loving and so heartfelt. And, you know... If I was a shepherd, you know, and, and, I, and I realized that some of my sheep had, had one of my sheep had wandered off, I'd probably say, oh, stupid sheep, what's wrong with them? Why do they keep wandering off, you know? And I'd trudge out, try to find this, the dumb sheep, and when I found the dumb animal, I'd probably tie a rope around its neck and drag it back and say, come on, we're going back to the rest of the flock now. What's wrong with you? Not like Jesus. He lays it on his shoulders. Maybe it was too weak. Maybe it was too cold. Maybe it couldn't make it back. It had to be carried back. That, that physical touch, that intimacy that the Lord Jesus has with each one of his sheep. He laid it on his shoulders and he brought it back rejoicing. What a, what a, what a beautiful echo passage. Another one 
Oh, it reminds me, I don't want to turn there, but it reminds me of uh, uh, what, 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 what the, the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 40, 11, about the tenderness of Jesus. It says, he will feed his flock. This, of course, applies also to Ezekiel 34. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arm, gently, gently lead the nursing ewes. That's how the righteous shepherd does it. Praise his name. Turn with me to Isaiah 61, if you will. Isaiah chapter 61. This is another echo scripture. This is another one of those things that say, that, that make, make me want to say, hey, this reminds me of Isaiah 61. Jesus turned to Isaiah 61 as recorded in Luke 4 and Matthew 4 when he was in the synagogue. They gave him the honor of the visiting rabbi to read the scriptures. And this is, the, 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 he found the place in Isaiah and he read this passage. And then after he was finished reading a short verse, group of verses, he sat down. And the gospel writers record that the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the scripture, Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives. We just read about binding up. The ministry of the good shepherd to bind up the brokenhearted. Let me ask you something and don't answer out loud. Have you ever been brokenhearted? Was there a time when people failed you? Left you in the lurch? Was there a time when the circumstances of your life were just so miserable that you were broken and downcast? Was there a time that the, as, a, as the results of the effects of your own sin, you were brokenhearted? There's one person who binds up the brokenhearted. And that's the Good Shepherd. That's the Lord Jesus. If he has bound up your brokenheartedness and healed your wounds, it may just be that he wants to direct your attention to someone else that you know who is also brokenhearted and whose wounds you could also bind up. When they came to Jesus one time and they, they asked him what was the greatest commandment, he said, it's to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And he said, the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And the person who posed the question to him, wishing to justify himself, asked him another question. Well, said, well, who is my neighbor? The answer that Jesus gives to this question, one of the most beautiful and powerful parables ever spoken, the Good Samaritan found that man on the side of the road. He could have ignored him, as others did, but he came to him, and what did he do? He poured oil and, and wine into his wounds, and he bound up his wounds and cared for him, put him on his own donkey. Maybe Jesus isn't the only one who can bind up the brokenhearted. Maybe that's part of what he has called us to do also. Another echo passage, John chapter 10. Please turn with me to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John, John chapter 10. 
I know you're saying to yourself, yeah, I knew he was going to go to this passage. John chapter 10. You know, I'm sort of a boring, predictable person. John chapter 10. He talk, Jesus talks about who, who, the thief who comes in the wrong way. But he says, but he who enters by the door, this is John 10 verse 2, is the shepherd, is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. This is what the Lord Jesus does, calls his own sheep by name. He knows the name of each and every sheep, and he's got a lot of sheep. He puts, his forth, puts them forth. Later on, just a couple of verses later in verse uh, 9, when they ask him what the parable means, he spells it out. He says, I'm the door, John 10, 9. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and, and then find pasture. And then comes verse 10, the verse that many of us, I think, know. And uh, if you uh, know this or if you want to say it with me, this is a, one of the powerful verses that we often, so often quote. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. This is the ministry of the Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus, to us. Let me ask you a question. These principles of shepherding, these six things that the Lord says he will do, are these just theological principles? Are these just things that, are, that we, we know in our heads? Or does this have any application to the way we live our lives today? One of the first, I, there's a lot of applications, obviously, and I, know, I, I have a very short list, only three, but I know that you have many others that you can add also to it. But I think the first application of these principles and these passages is, is simply this. Let Jesus shepherd you. Invite him again, even if you've experienced his shepherding in the past. Invite him again to shepherd you. He wants to minister to you in that way. And a couple of weeks ago, my brother Ephraim uh, mentioned some of what, of what David said about his own experience in his own personal life of the Lord shepherding. It's, he said, he leads me to green pastures. We've read about the green pastures already in Ezekiel 34. He leads me beside quiet waters. Sheep get hungry. They also get thirsty. They need to drink. And he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Do you need to have your soul restored? Have there been places where your soul has been empty? Where it's been a drought? Jesus is the only one who can restore your soul if you will let him and invite him. And furthermore, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Have you ever tried to find the paths of righteousness? I tried to find them, didn't have a clue where to look, could not find the paths of righteousness no matter how hard I tried. Because Jesus leads us, the shepherd leads us, the great shepherd of the, of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant. He's the one who leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for the sake of his name, that name that we were worshiping and hearing about earlier on in the service. He leads us 
in righteousness for his name's sake. Another application of these principles of shepherding, both the wicked shepherds in the first 10 verses of Ezekiel 34 and also the righteous shepherding in the, in the next six verses, 11 through 16 of Ezekiel 34. Another principle is evaluating pastors and shepherds in the body of Christ. How are they supposed to act? How are they supposed to behave? There's a very convicting uh, passage in 1 Peter chapter 5. Some of you may be familiar with it. And the Apostle Peter says, I as fellow elder exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God, not under compulsion but voluntarily, according to the will of God. He said, not for sordid gain. And he said, shepherd them uh, not as, as lording it over them, but as proving to be examples to the flock. This is what shepherding is supposed to happen in the body of Christ. I've been called an elder in this congregation, and there's four other guys that have that name, that title. And, and I want personally and on behalf of the other elders, although if they don't want me to say this, it's too late because I'm already up here. But I want to invite you, look at our lives. The Apostle Peter has set a high standard. He said, prove yourself to be examples to the flock. If we're not doing that, would you tell us? Would you tell me if you see something in my life where I'm failing and where I'm coming short? I want to invite you because there's a high standard. Um, when the sheep shepherd appears, all the shepherds, not just elders, but others of us are shepherds too. We're going to give an account. It's a high standard. So the third principle, the third application, I think, of, of these passages is this. Did you ever consider the fact that you might be a shepherd? You've been shepherded. Maybe it's time for you to do some shepherding yourself. Now, we, we don't necessarily have to hang a shingle outside your house or give you an I am a shepherd t-shirt, although if you want one, we could probably do that. But um, if you have been shepherded, maybe it's time for... Is there anyone around you that's brokenhearted, that's wandering and lost, that needs to come back into the fold, that needs to be encouraged to come into the fold for the first time or to return to the fold because they're wandering? If the Lord is putting anyone like that on your heart, maybe he's called you as an under-shepherd. Jesus said chief, chief shepherd, but as an under-shepherd to do a little caring yourself. Think again for a moment about the beginning of Ezekiel 34, the first 10 verses. He accuses the wicked shepherds of a lot of different things. They're being greedy, fleecing the flock, uh, using violence and intimidation to, to take charge of the sheep. The core sin of the bad shepherds is this. They feed themselves. They're supposed to be feeding the flock. But they're feeding themselves. You can hear the appalled uh, tone of voice that the Lord has about this. They're feeding themselves. Selfishness, that's at the root of so many sins. And it's the root of the way a lot of times we live our lives. When I evaluate my time and, and my money and my resources and where my heart is, a lot of it is really selfish. You know, I, I feed myself. The Lord doesn't want, want me to do that. He doesn't want us to do that. He wants us, uh, as we've been fed by him, uh, to reach out to others and to minister to them and, and to do a little shepherding ourselves.
How can I feed someone else? How can I strengthen them? How can I bind up their wounds if there are those that are around me that need that? If there are those who are brokenhearted, may the Lord want to speak a word of love or encouragement or reconciliation or healing to them. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for uh, the word that you spoke to us about the dry bones. Lord, dead things can't come to life unless you do it. Unless they hear your word. Unless you breathe your life into them and bring them into resurrection. And thank you, Lord, that you could do that for the dead house of Israel in the book of Ezekiel. And you even used Ezekiel to speak that word to them. And Lord, would you use us as we're available to you to speak words to other people who need the resurrection, life, and power of Jesus. And Father, I want to thank you also for the, <coughs> the words that you spoke to us a couple of weeks ago about um, your righteous shepherding. Lord, I thank you for the mountains of Israel. Because, Lord, you don't just shepherd your, your, your people by giving them good grazing and, and rich green uh, grazing, but it's a beautiful place a place of fellowship with you, of fellowship with other sheep, the mountains of Israel, a place with a fantastic view. Because, Lord, you are beautiful, and being in fellowship with you and with other sheep is beautiful. Lord Jesus, help us to follow your example. You lay down your life for the sheep. Show us how you want this to flesh out in, in each of our lives, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Mm -hmm.